did you sleep last night? That's my question. Barely, barely. I'm just going to start recording so that we can have banter. Okay. Okay. Hi, I'm Dara. I'm Sophia. And welcome to Televisual. Yes, welcome to Televisual, our second podcast episode. Sophia, what's the last thing you watched? Oh, the last thing I've I've watched is Yellow Jackets. Ooh, I like that show. <laughs> I have kind of mixed feelings about it, but I'm almost done. I'm excited to see the last episode. I like, I really liked it for some reason. I don't, I don't know. Maybe like, I'm yeah. intrigued by what's going to happen next season. Anyway, yeah. the last thing I watched was American Crime Story, The Assassination of Gianni Versace. Oh, I remember watching that a few years ago with Darren Chris. Yeah, with Darren Chris, I hadn't watched it for no reason. Like, I don't know why I hadn't watched it because I'd seen People vs. O.J. Simpson and I saw Impeachment, which okay. are the other two seasons of American Crime Story, and this one comes in between them. Obviously, very completely separate stories, but I um, it's going off Netflix, so I finally watched it. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's leaving Netflix at the end of the month. How would you rank each season? I think the People versus O.J. Simpson's the best one. Um, honestly, I think probably then Impeachment, then this one. Okay. This one, I mean, it was mo- mostly about the murderer rather yes. than, than being about Johnny Versace. Right. And because, like, he, he killed himself, there isn't a trial. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of, like, weird in that way. Okay, let's get into this episode, I think. We're talking about mini-series. Mini-series. Sounds good to me. I feel like you've done so much more research than I did for this one. That No, I I really fell down a rabbit hole. um, And I I love mini-series. I feel like my favorite shows, some of them are mini-series. And I had no idea it had such, like, kind of a rich history. So I'm excited to get to get into that if you are I'm so excited to get into that okay so you did like a lot of looking into like the origins of them right yes and so basically what I discovered was as you might be able to guess the miniseries kind of existed first on radio yeah and especially in the I guess like 19 30s and 40s and especially like the interwar period there were these radio programs that would be broadcast like a little part each night and people would listen and it it had a narrative like beginning middle and end where I think these were really popular at first I don't I don't exactly know about the U.S. but I think the story of the television miniseries starts in Britain well that's what I was like I think it's still insanely popular in I mean it is popular here too but like the BBC miniseries Mm. just like yeah. Sort of dominated for a really long time. Yes, absolutely. And so what I found out was that the serial, which is what they called like those radio shows, mm-hmm. um, was developed during World War One and World War Two. Um, over the radio, they would broadcast stories. And a really popular one was A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Oh, cute. Which is kind of fun. It's like a little it's a Christmas story. I think that's what kind of popularized A Christmas Carol, which is really yeah. interesting. I'm familiar with it. With yeah. Christmas Carol. Have you heard of it? I have, I've heard of, I've heard of it. Listen, <laughs> I'm Jewish, but I'm not. Still I feel in the like, loop. Right, there we go. I'm like, did yeah. it, 
I think that like what happened after that when when people started going to the movies, there were serials in the movies too. Like every Sunday you'd go and you'd watch the next the next chapter. There were like superhero ones that they would do that way. And after a Christmas Carol, the the radio serial, basically these continued even after the wars um, until BBC decided to make their first television serial. Um, and I had never heard of this show before. It's called The Quartermass Experiment. I certainly have not heard of it. What it's, is it like a TV show from the 50s in the UK? Yes, it is. Yeah, so, so I, I, I'm not really big on that. That's not your like preferred genre. It's not my niche, I wouldn't say. But basically the Quartermass Experiment was broadcast during the summer of 1953 on the BBC. It was in six parts. And it basically was a science fiction adventure about a team of astronauts that goes into space. And their whole project is designed by this dude named Professor Bernard Quartermass, hence the title. All right. I love that one. Yeah. And it's like kind of fun, you know, I mean, I guess the space race was like next decades. People probably were into this, but when the ship comes back to earth, they're missing a few astronauts and the remaining astronauts are acting weird. This is feeling like a yellow jackets to me. It's uh, a little bit supernatural and it inspired some uh, really, really insane Hollywood hits that I'm, I'm sure that you've heard of. Um, can you guess? Well, I read your notes. So it's, <laughs> it's 2001 A Space Odyssey. And? And Alien. Alien, which is crazy because I feel like the Alien franchise is what about so- Aliens? I haven't seen Aliens. Aliens is the sequel to Alien, which makes me lose my mind every time I hear that because I think that's the funniest thing they could ever do. I love that, actually. Oh, Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. And uh, another thing it inspired maybe more directly was the British television series Doctor Who, which- yeah, I've, I've heard of that. <laughs> right like even today is like this cultural phenomenon it's still on yeah it is i believe the doctor right now i, I think, think they're, they're on, the girl doctor i think they might still be on the girl doctor girl doctor like 13 or 14th doctor right, so they, they have you know new doctors matt smith mm-hmm. was a doctor benedict yep. cumberbatch was he was not a doctor no he wasn't was he on the show I don't think so. Okay, whatever. I they're all British. <laughs> they're too British for me. Okay. Maybe okay. Tenet, I know. Um yes. Yes. And so one crazy thing about the quartermass experiment, since it I guess was this kind of landmark event in television history, is that there's only two episodes today that we can watch from that original broadcast. Basically, the episodes were streamed live from a studio from Alexandra Palace in London, which I guess is where the BBC did a lot of their shooting. After this series, it moved to like an independent kind of station. And they had a few pre-recorded clips where they would put in like cool science fiction, like alien special effects. Um, but other than that, it was kind of like a live play that they would film. And oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I think that that's so interesting because when I think of live TV, I think of like a talk show. Well, there was recently a live like like movie thing. It was Woody Harrelson? Hold on, it was it was filmed in 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 London. Okay, yeah, okay. So this was in 2017. It was called Lost in London, Ooh. and it was filmed and broadcast live, and it was it was a movie. It was broadcast into movie theaters. Isn't that interesting? That's crazy. Yeah, that sounds really, really cool. 
Anyway. Yeah, so they intended to film each episode as it aired on um, 35 millimeter film that it would be telerecorded. But the quality from the first two was so bad that they just kind of gave up on the idea. And so we don't have the remaining four out of six. But it was a huge success and it went on to inspire a sequel, I think a movie. And it was like proof, I guess, that audiences liked this kind of miniseries TV structure. Mm -hmm. Again, beginning, middle, end. And meanwhile, in the United States, the ongoing series was always more popular for a few different reasons. I guess the main reason is that it made more money for the network um, because it could be produced indefinitely. Like there weren't always these overarching narratives um, people got really attached to like the characters and that inspired the spin-offs, like we talked about last last week. And the shows could be syndicated where they could kind of sell the rights to other stations and make money through reruns. Um, so overall, just a lot more profitable than sinking a lot of money into like a six episode production that would be over after a few weeks. Yeah, if we're talking about like the 50s and 60s, there was a lot of time that there just wasn't anything on television, you know, like you could not have anything playing. There's three networks and, Mm -hmm. and then sometimes it was like nothing, Mm -hmm. um, like after a certain time, things like that. Whereas then as you get on in time, there has to be stuff on all the time. Like, and like, because we had this sort of like, there was a structure in the TV season, but there was that like definitive structure where like things would air from like, September to like February and then there would be reruns and then in the summer there had to be like something to put on and there during off season and I think that that's like sort of initially where like the idea of oh we need to like write these limited series because they have like an end so that the regular season can come back otherwise people would be getting too attached to those characters and then they're like wait a second now it's sort of competing for your interest with the regular season whereas you want the limited series to just keep you watching the network for the time that the regular series aren't on. I think there were basically there were a few attempts at miniseries in the 1960s and early 70s. Um, some of them were fairly popular, but the miniseries didn't really take off and it wasn't recognized as like a profitable concept until 1977 um, when there was Roots. one of the most famous miniseries of all time, Roots. And I know they did a Roots remake like a few years back. They did. But basically in 1977, Roots premiered. Um, It was based on the novel by Alex Haley, which documented his family history from his ancestors in West Africa who were captured, um, sold into slavery in the United States, and then eventually emancipated. And there were eight episodes, um, 12 hours total. And all eight episodes broke onto the list of the 50 highest rated programs of all time, including the number one spot that year. So basically people loved Roots. It also kind of broke some barriers, I guess, because there were scenes of partial nudity, which was a first for fiction programming on network TV. And some people thought that the the way that they depicted slavery and the horrors of slavery was too graphic, but- What network was this on? It first aired on ABC. On ABC. Okay, interesting. It also got 37 Emmy nominations that year, (laughs) which was completely unprecedented for any TV show. Yeah, I'm assuming they didn't have, you know, Emmy for limited series at that point, so. No, I don't, I don't believe they did. I think that they did get nominated for. For just best drama. 
some people still consider it like the most important piece of scripted television in telehistory. Yeah, I think that that also sort of like plays to what what like limited series were trying to, okay, so I'm calling them limited series because I feel like that's what people call them now, mm-hmm. but they were very much called mini series in this time. My parents mm-hmm. kept correcting me when I said limited series. Nice. So they're like, it's it's a mini series. It's called a mini series. Okay, so the mini series, like what they're trying to accomplish with that, like the creators, not the networks, um, mm-hmm. of having sort of like a bridge between like television and movies, like having something that's more elevated and a bit more artistic than TV, but not quite as like high budget, not quite as specifically artistic as as film was at the time obviously now we're seeing a lot more overlap about like what is like cinematographically beautiful and we're seeing a lot of like those television shows that are that way and having like the sort of film budget level of production yeah production level yeah production value Um, but I think yeah that was sort of like an in-between like the miniseries was an in-between you can see that with like oh they're pressing the boundaries on what can be shown on television with with roots and stuff like that yeah and the the network that really took the miniseries and ran with it was HBO um and so of course wasn't established it was it was only established in 73 so it had only been around for four years and then it was only showing movies at that time yes so for those of us who don't know about HBO. You're right, it came around in 1973. Which um, isn't it, the two of us. We know everything about HBO. We know everything about Home Box Office. The Home Box Office. That's, that what, is, that's, what, that's what it stands for. It's true. And you had to pay extra for it if you wanted yeah. to watch it. It's premium. Um, it's premium cable. I guess it had like recently released movies with no commercials, which mm-hmm. I know they still do no commercials, but Like, I would totally pay extra to, I guess that's what I'm doing right now with all my streaming services, but to watch movies, like, like just as they're getting out of theaters. Yeah, that was its whole thing. And it didn't have, like, a lot of original programming for a while. Right. And, like, all of its original programming, like, it didn't do quite so well at the beginning. Yes, until the 1990s, early 2000s, when The Sopranos broke out. But in the mid-80s and early 90s, they were sort of playing around with the miniseries, and the early miniseries was like a two-night event, and it didn't have a lot of this high production value that we think about now. But HBO really played around with the two-night model. They still had a few two-night types of miniseries, but they started lengthening the miniseries. And I think one of their like early hits that a lot of people watched was Band of Brothers in 2001. Yeah, Band of Brothers honestly is one of the ones that changed the miniseries game because it had that HBO that HBO money. Yes. Um, and so you sort of saw like how you could make it op- like almost like a movie. Yes. And because it's 10 episodes long, we see all the way, like the World War II experience from training all the way to Victory Day, which is a lot to cover in one movie. Right. Yeah. I think that that's like, honestly, the, the best, like that's what miniseries are really, really great for is covering either an event or like a book, something that has a lot of detail to it, but does have a finite ending. So that's why we see so many miniseries, like because it's the best medium for it, that's why we see so many like miniseries about wars or like specifically about a person's life. Um, Like there's a John Adams miniseries. Why is that the one I picked? 
Why is that the one I picked? So oh my God. insane and- fact is that Paul Giamatti is like one of my dad's like favorite human beings. Okay. So I have seen the John Adams miniseries like several times. As you should. It's good. Yeah. It's it's kind of a pinnacle of of American history, if you ask Not me. Not us just like loving the John Adams miniseries. <laughs> I know. Okay. Insane. Or, or like a, a book, like obviously Roots, or they've done the Pride and Prejudice miniseries. Yes. Yes. I think they did an Emma one too. Like, yes. They, they love an Austin it. miniseries. Yes. But an MBBC. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so Band of Brothers breaks out, um, gets really great critical reviews. Um, there's another notable miniseries I hadn't heard of, Elizabeth the First in 2000. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Helen oh. Mirren. Yes, it is. I put some respect on her name. I do love Helen Mirren. I'm so sorry. Um, five, baby. <laughs> yes. It uh, fit the two, two night model of the miniseries, but it was like one of the first miniseries have a really high production value. And so there was like really incredible like costumes and set production. With the two night ones, I feel like those sort of blur the lines between is it a miniseries or is it a movie like just a really long movie right I I can see that because if it's two nights is it an hour night that's not even a long movie that's just two hours right that's like a pretty standard movie that's just a movie that's is this just a movie (laughs) questions for Elizabeth yes but they make you wait 24 hours I guess to really build the hype yeah, I think that's a good model for movies. I think all movies should be released in two one-hour segments so that I can not feel so bad about pausing it in the middle. Yeah, I miss the <laughs> I miss watching the sound of music and the, like the intermission screen. Intermission. And I'm like, what a great idea. Let's bring that back. I know, like they do it when you're in the theater. They know that you need to like pee. Yeah. That you exactly. need a, you need a drink. Yeah. At least then- give me a 15 minute break. If right. you can't give me a 24 hour break. Yeah. Especially I feel like there are so many movies I've seen lately that push like the three hour mark. Mm-hmm. That's a long movie. I know. Sometimes like, you know, obviously I feel like the you want a movie to be so good that you don't realize that it's three hours, but sometimes my body can't help but realize that it's three hours. Yes. And sometimes it's not good enough to make me forget that it's three hours. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and yeah so that brings us kind of closer to today um the May series has taken off beyond HBO I think a lot of networks especially with streaming services realize that it's kind of a great way to get people to tune in and maybe subscribe for the first time um mm-hmm. when there's a mini series getting a lot of hype um I wasn't even thinking about Band of Brothers when I started the research but once I saw that as an example of like a mini series that was so well-renowned like, I remember um, watching it in my military history class in high school and coming home and being like, to my parents, have you seen Band of Brothers? And they're like, of course, we've seen it like a million times. A million times? And I was like, whoa, for real? Like, but I guess it was a phenomenon when it came out. My parents are kind of like history buffs. And they were like, yeah, this is great. Like, we'll watch it, you know, when it's, I guess, on a rerun. Yeah, no, I mean, I know my parents have seen it as well. Obviously, I was one, so I didn't really watch it. Right, but I don't think any of the actors, besides maybe David Schwimmer at that point, were super well-established. Oh, and then that must have been him pivoting. (laughs) Do you get it? Because from, um, like, from into um, 
drama. Oh, pivot with the couch. Mm-hmm. Pivot. Okay, so I want to talk, as always, I want to talk about streaming services and how it's changed the game. Okay, Absolutely. so, okay, so you get 2000, 2011, Netflix released its first original content. No, 2012, I, 2012, 2012. Can I guess what that show was? Yeah, you can. Was it Orange is the New Black? No, it wasn't. It was Lily Hammer. Oh, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I don't think anyone really watched it. Interesting. Because it was the very first thing that they ever released. And um, so then you get like something like House of Cards. Yes. Okay. I did watch House of Cards. Which is 2013. And And Orange is the New Black was also 2013. I, I sort of remember this because I remember Orange is the New Black was like the dramedy and House of Cards was like kind of like the West Wing, like really serious political... But obviously a lot less happy and uplifting than the West Wing. Okay, so Netflix starts releasing original content, then Hulu comes around, Amazon Prime, or whatever, all this streaming, so Disney+, Plus, Paramount+, Plus, Apple TV+, Plus, everything starts, you know, making original content. And in like, in the, 2000, in, in the 2010s, that's like, was Netflix's heyday. They sort of had a little bit of a, a monopoly on the, that stuff before Hulu came around Mm -hmm. um, and then Amazon and then like in the past two years everything else Um, but so Netflix starts making all of this content they they make original content that's successful and then I think that because Netflix and the other streaming services have like they make everything they just you know throw their model is to have so 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 much content Mm -hmm. and so I think that sort of lends itself to having a lot of like miniseries because it had there's so much source material that they can use in books mm. in history in historical fiction mm. um, and stuff like that and I think that yeah we've really seen a resurgence in interest in miniseries like there was definitely some stuff in the 2000s and 2010s like on tv but I think that the idea that everyone is tuning in to mm. watch a miniseries has been revived in the past few years and some mm-hmm. of like I feel like half the content I watch now is miniseries and I think that like a lot of people are putting a lot a lot of time and effort into creating beautiful pieces of work that are eight or ten episodes mm-hmm. and that are done after that I've been on two miniseries um like as a background actor which is an interesting like take on things because you can see I've been on also like regular style tv show again i do background work i'm not i'm not successful everybody i just yeah (laughs) i just do background work right now but so being on like a regular tv show versus the work that they do for the um, miniseries there's a marked difference for sure when i was doing um i did the uh, disney plus national geographic show the right stuff which is a miniseries about um, the first American astronauts. That's Mercury, right? The Mercury Seven. I think so. Okay, I mean, I think so. So it was the Mercury. <laughs> it was about the Mercury Seven, and I was in one scene, and we filmed it for eight hours. Oh my god! Yeah, we filmed it for eight hours, and it was about five minutes. Wow. Scene, That's maybe a little, maybe less than that, in the final cut of the show, and then I did just a regular TV show and we got through, and that was one day. That was the whole day. 
mm-hmm. like eight hours on set, but also pre- prior to that setting up, doing hair, makeup, all of that stuff. And there was like a teeny tiny scene that they filmed without background mm-hmm. before that, but that was basically the whole day wow. versus when I was on another TV show. First of all, we were called a lot later. We were called about three hours later mm-hmm. and they shot four scenes in one day. Wow which is a lot more standard because they're just doing a TV show. You know, they got to get a bunch done in one week and you can just see like how much, how the, the creation of these made for streaming limited series is very much similar to a movie, but longer. So like people are talking about, yeah, we filmed for six months. We filmed for nine months for these, for these limited series because there's so much art that's put into them. Totally. And I think that it's, I, I would, I would in my, you know, amateur opinion, probably think, probably say that a limited series is more common with a movie than it does with a a television series. Yeah. I think it's like right in the middle. I think it's like, I, I think it's the best right now. I think it's like the best form of art that we have because it gives you the space to fully flesh out your story that a movie doesn't really give you space, but it keeps that incredible quality that is in a cinema format um yes. and like often it's there's a like really high like it like it's there's a lot of like really high budget ones especially like for the streaming services yeah I think and I think great. in that six to six to eight episode window it's like the perfect amount of time to really build tension and kind of like get you emotionally attached to these characters in the mm-hmm. story um in a way that sometimes a movie can't I agree it gets you attached and in a way that like you're able to like really feel for the characters but it doesn't do that thing that tv shows do to you where you're like inextricably linked to the character in a way that I feel like is often like damaging to fans because they end up like not wanting change from the character yes because they get um attached yeah okay so let's talk a little bit about recent limited series in this sort of like golden age of mini limited series I I think it's it's the golden age for limited series because everyone who's anyone is doing them Mm -hmm. you're they're pouring money into them Mm -hmm. it's also absolutely like sparking people's careers yeah totally and I think it's some of like the best art that we've had in the past few years I completely agree. I've really, really enjoyed the miniseries that have come out in the past few years. Should we talk about our personal faves? Yeah. Okay. Go for it. What's your, okay. What's your number one favorite miniseries? Oh my God. Dear, that's so hard. Yeah. I don't really know what that voice was. <laughs> I loved it. I feel like it conveys the excitement. Um, yeah. I'm a wrestling announcer. I think that my favorite miniseries was the Chernobyl miniseries on HBO. Mm. And I really loved the miniseries format because it is able to tell the story of like several different characters from several several different perspectives of the historical event. Um, It gives us enough detail, I think, into the history that it keeps us entertained without really weighing us down. Mm And just the the artistry that went into the sets, the costumes, like the research on that time period was really incredible. And I think it was like 
very visually stunning as well as like a really great story. I think like what's really interesting that I think we're getting now that we haven't had really in any format is like this hyper realism miniseries that we're seeing and it's sort of like they're not trying to make things happy yeah and like you can't really do that with a movie because then that upsets people too much like you have to have like a nice ending wrapped up in a bow Mm -hmm. and then like with tv shows obviously sad things can happen but you know they go on for so long that there are ups and downs so for the miniseries like what I'm specifically thinking about is unbelievable and made which are both Netflix um unbelievable being about like this girl who's trying to get people to believe that she was assaulted and then made being about like a woman who's a maid and she's like struggling with uh, domestic abuse and getting her daughter out of like the cycle of trauma and I think like I mean, Maid has kind of a happy ending, but you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. That was also, and I think that with those that are like very, very realistic, they're filmed in this sort of like grayish lens. Um, you see, like, like people watch them. Everybody watched, like, the, both of those. Like, I feel like everybody who I knew watched them while they were happening. But I also find them to be kind of forgettable, which is an interesting thing. Because like, I don't really remember anything that happened in Unbelievable besides for that. That is interesting. And like, I just watched Made a couple months ago. So that's why I sort of have a better recollection of it. But I feel like, like you put these hyper-realists, I don't know if this is even a good thing to include, but I, I feel like there's some sort of like, like some miniseries because they're so short, like you, they almost like disappear into like your experience with the world. I think I see what you're saying. Like they seem almost like an anecdote that somebody could tell you about someone they knew. I think I think a lot of that, or I think one thing I've noticed that maybe is tangential to this is like with this golden age of miniseries, mm-hmm. I think some of the miniseries that I consume don't leave as lasting of an impression on me because mm-hmm. I'm consuming a lot more of them. Yeah, I agree. And I think like the ones that do are very glossy or very... Um, I don't know they all they have these like the high production value like has like a lot of like people talking about costumes or people talking about makeup and things like that like something like the queen's gambit yeah which I love I love that as a miniseries I think it's perfect for the miniseries format um and I also think that that really launched Anya Taylor-Joy into crazy stardom yeah I know she was on Peaky Blinders before that, but I feel like a lot of people even started watching Peaky Blinders after they saw The Queen's Gambit because Anya Taylor-Joy was in it. And then, you know, she had, she's had a bunch of movies um, in the past couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think one thing that makes the miniseries really appealing to me is that narrative structure, like that beginning, middle, end. Mm -hmm. And I remember being kind of disappointed because I really loved the miniseries Big Little Lies. Mm -hmm. and when they announced the second season I was a little bit disappointed because I felt like the end of the first season was perfect I agree I think that that you know that one had so much there was a huge fan base for that show and like it felt like fan pandering when they did a second season totally and they got um Streep yes Meryl Streep and she did a great job but I I felt like it was an unnecessary addition well, it feels like at that point, then you should keep going. 
I feel like if they did that, like, okay, give me a season three then. Because like, if you're just going to do two, then I'm like, oh. Right. It feels like we had one really good one and then one kind of like, eh. Right. So give me a season three that gives a reason for a season two. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. That's how I feel about that. And then, you know, you have these, uh uh-oh, uh-oh, what time is it? It's time to talk about anthologies again. (laughs) Because anthology shows are kind of miniseries also, because they're all, like, that's what True Detective was. True Detective was an anthology show. It had three seasons. Okay. Um, And then, like, sometimes, like, I've seen that, like, different formats uh different like um services streaming services or whatever don't know how to place the shows so like quote unquote the haunting haunting of hill house and the haunting of bly manor they're the same show but they're two different seasons in an anthology so they they take place at different you know times places different characters but it's some of them are played by the same people um but they're separated on netflix Oh, interesting. Whereas like, whereas a show like American Horror Story, which is also an anthology in the same way, is all together and it just has different seasons. But that American Crime Story, which is the same thing as American Horror Story because it's also Ryan Murphy. It's literally called the same thing, but just crime is separated into people versus OJ Simpson, assassination of Gianni Versace and impeachment. They're all separate things. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's interesting how they like choose to do that and like what, I mean, obviously I don't know what the purpose is for separating them versus having them be the same thing. <sighs> I'm tired. Me too. Sorry, that just like really, you know, that drains me. So yeah. like the, the question of the day is, is an anthology a miniseries? Is each season of an anthology actually just a miniseries in disguise? Yes. I also, as you were talking about anthology series started thinking about the wire which i've been watching recently mm-hmm. um i definitely wouldn't call it a mini series but each season has a very distinct story i mean okay that sounds so stupid because i feel like most seasons have like, oh yeah so tv yes like have you heard of this concept no 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 but i know what you mean that there's like a sort of an ending at the end of each season yes and some seasons have well, okay, now I feel stupid because I was going to say some seasons have characters that aren't on the other seasons, but I think you could also say that about a lot of different seasons. You could, but I also know what you mean. Okay, that makes me feel better. It's like each season had, what do you call it? A slant. Okay. And each season focused on kind of a different problem in the city of Baltimore. And the overarching thing that connected all the seasons were like the detectives that this the series followed in the police force and like for instance the first we don't even have to include this now that I'm I'm talking about it out loud but in the first season we talk about the drug industry in Baltimore okay so we have two sides the war on drugs sort of yeah and so we have two sides we have the drug industry and mm-hmm. then the police force yeah those two don't like each other most of the time Exactly. And that's where most of like the the tension comes in, as you could probably imagine. And the second season, they focus on the Stevedore Union. The what? Stevedores? I don't know about the Stevedores. Basically, they're the people that unload and load things onto cargo ships. 
oh, now I seem like a freaking classist ass bitch who doesn't know what the stevedores are. I also had never heard of a stevedore. Um, All the stevedores on The Wire seem to be mostly Polish. In terms of The Wire, each season has like a different thing. And I think that that was, it's not like, if I had to draw, it's not like one arc, you know? It's like little bumps and then there's like a little bit of an arc. Almost. We probably almost. shouldn't do this. I think okay. I sound like an idiot. It's okay. <laughs> almost like a crime procedural, but long form. It's yes. Like, it's like a long form crime procedural. Okay, so I, I feel like I'd be remiss to not mention FX and Ryan Murphy. Mm-hmm. And also like not FX sometimes, but Ryan Murphy specifically and like his miniseries specifically Mrs. America in Hollywood which are both like they're very very different but I think you know Ryan Murphy has this sort of sort of a way that he does things and I Mrs. America I think is probably my favorite miniseries of all time and it's it's history it's like Mm -hmm. history with you know like obviously they add some stuff it's like conversations are fictional events are true and it talks about like phyllis uh phyllis 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 schlafly she she, you know worked extremely hard to make sure that the equal rights amendment did not pass really and she was successful she was successful right Um, it hasn't passed yeah interesting okay I didn't I also didn't realize this was a Ryan Murphy show yeah it's so it's Ryan Murphy and it's it's about her and it's about you know the other side is also in it so um Gloria Steinem Mm. playing this by Rose Byrne which by the way is a um portrayal that Gloria Steinem does not like right right Um, Shirley Chisholm is is in it also she's the first woman to run for president on a big ticket okay played by I just want to play um okay I have to watch this now I'm also seeing that John Slattery is in it everybody's in it it's like so good obviously Ryan Murphy darling Sarah Paulson is in it Mm -hmm. Tracy Ullman Margot Martindale who is in everything she plays Hannah Montana's grandma oh my god (laughs) I love for, her. For, I know, right, 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 right. That's awesome. And yeah, obviously, Kate Blanchett is in it. Um, but yeah, I I loved that. I loved that series. And then also Hollywood is sort of almost the opposite of this because it's it's um it's an alternative history. It's essentially like what would happen if there wasn't so much racism, homophobia, and sexism in early Hollywood. Interesting. Like, what if you know they gave like a black writer a chance to write a script? What if they didn't care that um, Rock Hudson was gay? Yeah. So that show sort of like mixes truth and fiction, and they have like what like um, real historical figures alongside fake mm-hmm. characters, which I interesting. think is interesting. But yeah, that's another Ryan Murphy um, miniseries, and that was for Netflix yeah I feel like in my experience Ryan Murphy was the first one to do an anthology series that I had heard of which was American Horror Story and I feel like 
it seems to be like a good niche that he fits into. Ryan Murphy has so many issues, but I think he's made some of the best work of the past 10 years. Glee. Namely Glee. Namely Glee. Primary Glee and Scream Queens. Those two. The two shining, the jewels in the crown. In the crown of Ryan Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've hit all the the points I was hoping we would hit. Me too. And then I feel like I said things over and over again. Should we talk more about miniseries that we like? Sure. Let's do like a rapid, a rapid thing. Like okay. list like the top like three miniseries that you can think of that you've seen. Okay. Mine, um, mine are Mrs. America, Queen's Gambit, and like probably people are so Jason Smith. I think that's so well done. Okay. I like that. And I think mine would be Chernobyl, mm-hmm. Band of Brothers, Mayor of Easttown. So there you go. There you have it, folks. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to us talk about the miniseries. Yeah, or the limited series, if you prefer. I think that what the difference is, is that like miniseries has become like, can my neighbors not be so loud? Do they know I'm recording a podcast? Do they, do they know there's a recording in progress? Exactly. I have my on-air sign on. Really? No! <laughs> I should get one. <laughs> you should. I should too. Anyway, I think like the term miniseries pe- like leaves a bad taste in people's mouth because it's like a, um, like it's it's an abbreviation. So like limited series. That's limited. what, that's like, the auteur's miniseries is the limited series the limited series well i feel like there is a difference between like the miniseries that we saw on network television Mm -hmm. just because like the quality that's able to be accessed has gone up so much even like with movies like the best movie in 1970 the quality Mm -hmm. isn't as good as like a real pretty bad movie now just because of like the quality of of production yeah like even if they had the same amount of money that money doesn't do the same thing then that it would now in terms of clarity and of picture and sound and things like that anyway limited limited series thanks for listening to us talk about it i'm sophia barkoff i'm dara weinstein don't change the channel tune in next time for a new episode of televisual